Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. Welcome back to With You Every Step. This week, I have a returning guest, Bruce Johnson. He is a man of many talents. And today we are going to be talking about gold prospecting. Bruce does it and he knows all about it and he's going to give us tips and tricks on how if you want to start gold prospecting, how you can do it yourself. Happy New Year, Bruce. Happy New Year, Michelle. How are you? I'm very well. I'm excited to have you back on and pick your brain again. Well, thanks for inviting me again. (laughs) We are going to talk about gold prospecting because we've had a conversation about this previously And there is a lot to it. I just thought you can go get one of those machines, which you're going to explain all about because I know nothing about them, and then just go and hunt for gold. But it's not that easy. Uh, No, it's not easy to prospect in Victoria. Fossicking for gemstones as well. There's lots of rules and regulations, places where you can and cannot go uh, on both private land and uh, public uh, crown land. So private land, so your own land, you can't look for gold? Is that what you mean? Well, technically, to prospect for gold or gemstones on your own private land, you have to have a miner's right. Oh. And you have to purchase a a miner's right uh, through the government. Uh, At the moment, it's a pretty good value at the moment. It's about $22 for a 10-year license, which is... Oh, okay. So it's not too expensive. No, I, I just recently purchased... My new miners right before the price reduction. It cost me eighty eight dollars, oh. uh, but now the government, in their wisdom, have brought it down to twenty two dollars. Oh no! But you need your refund. That's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, very uncool. <laughs> but this is what the Eureka Stockade was all about, because the the miners rights were getting too expensive. But yes, you do need a miners right to uh, prospect in Victoria. Okay. So how did you get into doing this, Bruce? Well, many, many, many years ago, when I was a teenager. Uh, going to school, my friend who lived over at Warrandyte uh, invited me to go over and do some gold panning in the river over there. So we got some gold pans and went over and found some gold. And from then on, it's been gold fever. Once it's in your blood, you've got it forever. (laughs) So what kind of pan did you use? I'm thinking like a sieve that you would sift out flour? Uh, a, A sieve, you do need a sieve to classify the material uh, just basically you need a, a very basic gold pan the early prospectors used used uh, pressed metal ones i don't particularly like those ones i like the new plastic ones but uh, you just need a shovel gold pan and a preferably a sieve because a sieve can then classify the large rocks that you don't need uh, out of the material that you're trying to wash in your gold pan so you just simply do is find a location dig up some dirt, put it in your gold pan, dip it in the water, swirl it around, get the excess material off it, and hopefully at the bottom there'll be a little bit of gold. Mm, so the gold won't wash away because it's heavy? Yes, it's heavy, yes. Um, with the, the metal pans, a lot of people really like the metal pans, but they only have a very simple lip around the outside, and the theory is that the gold will settle in that little lip. Now, I like the new plastic pans because they have lots and lots of little riffles in them with uh, straight edges, uh, and they are much, much better for catching very fine gold. 
Uh, I originally started with a metal pan, but I wasn't finding very much at all. And then I discovered the new plastic pans, and then I started finding the extremely fine flower gold, which all adds up in the end. Mm, so they're the tiny little specks? Yes, very, very tiny specks. It, it goes from what's called flower gold, which is literally just like flour, uh, up to the real chunky nugget type stuff. Which is the money. Which is the money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want, the big chunks. That's the big chunky stuff, yes. Yeah. Okay, so can you explain for my listeners that are all around the world, can you explain a little bit about how gold was discovered in Australia in the 1850s and where? The, the exact place of where it was found originally has been debated over many, many years. Some people say it was originally found up in New South Wales. However, other people say that it was originally found down here in Victoria. The government were very aware of the gold discoveries in America, and they were very, very keen for someone to discover gold here in Australia. So they put up a reward for the first person to find gold in Australia. And it was eventually found, as I say, a little bit controversial about exactly where it was found first, but I like to think it was found first in Victoria. And it didn't take very long for the news to get out. And, of course, the gold rush took place. Many hundreds of thousands of people coming from different parts of the world, which caused lots and lots of people to travel around Victoria. And they continued to find new pockets of gold. And that was called a gold rush. So people would get the word, they'd go to a particular place, they would find all the easily won gold that was called alluvial gold. So all you need was a gold pan or a sluice and you would find all the alluvial gold. Once that ran out, other people would then be looking for more areas to prospect. And once gold was found there, then there would be another gold rush to another place. And the diggers eventually spread themselves out around uh, Victoria. One gold was ran out. That was the alluvial gold. Then they started to dig mines and go into the deep leads, like up in Ballarat. They got into what's called the deep leads, and that was generated by the old rivers, which were eventually silted up and covered over. However, the gold was still there, so then you had to dig down into the ground and dig a mine to uh, to find it. What year are we talking here, Bruce? Oh, we started in 1851. Okay, and so that brought a lot of people to Melbourne looking for gold, trying to get rich, as you would when you're you know, thinking, oh, well, this sounds good. Oh, yes, the, the allure of gold is, is magnetic. It, it really draws people's attention. Uh, some people became millionaires overnight and other people lost their shirt at the same time. Yeah. Very fickle business, gold prospecting. Okay. Can you explain to me how gold is actually formed? Because I'm thinking, is there gold everywhere? But it's not, right? It's only in certain areas. Yes, it is. Many, many millions of years ago, when the surface of the, of the earth was being solidified, the core of the earth was still liquid, and it was highly pressurized. And these various liquids were forced up through the various fissures in the earth's surface, and that eventually solidified. And over millions of years, the earth's surface was eroded, and these various veins were exposed to the surface of the ground. They were further weathered down uh, on the surface of the ground, and that made it very easy for prospectors to find gold, etc. 
just literally lying around on the ground. Wow. But again, that's not everywhere. That's not everywhere, no. For for whatever reason, there are different areas on the Earth's surface that are more prone to different types of minerals coming to the surface than others. It's a, it's a strange thing. But, for example, up in New South Wales, a little place called Tipperborough, you can drive around up there and it's just desolate area. And then all of a sudden you'll come across these huge granite rocks and it's all gold-bearing. It's truly amazing. Oh, so that's a place that you go prospecting? I do. I've been to Tipperborough four times last year and I found a whole three grams of gold up there using a metal detector. Okay, I was going to say, and how much gold did you find? Three grams. Is three grams good? Uh, well, it depends. It's better than nothing. Better than nothing. But that three grams was made up of about 30 little pieces. So you need a lot of small pieces to make up huge weights of gold. And a lot of patience, I can imagine. Uh, it does take a lot of patience. You've got to put a lot of sweat uh, into gold prospecting. It's not just something that you can roll up to a certain spot with your car, jump out, and then find lots and lots of gold. It, it takes lots of research and lots of time. Okay. And when you mean research, what do you mean by that? You can research old newspapers. You can research the old gold maps. It gives you an idea of where gold has been found in the past. For example, if you get one of Doug Stone's maps, have a look at it where all the reefs are marked, go, the, go to that particular place, you'll find the old diggings, you'll find the old mullock heaps. And that's an indicator that there used to be gold there. And there's a fair chance that there still might be some small pieces of gold still there today. Okay, so it wouldn't be that all the gold is gone because they've found it all. So there could be gold deeper down? Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. From what I understand, today in 2019, we're down to about the second layer of gold uh, in the Earth's crust. The first layer was found in the 1800s, and we're now operating on the second layer of gold. If we were to get a big bulldozer, and take you know, several metres of ground off for the gold fields, we'll be into the next layer. Oh. And is it a different type of gold, or is it exactly the same? Uh, it's all the same. It's all the same type of gold, yes. Okay. If a gold reef has appeared, like in a valley, and it's eventually weathered away by the rain, the rain will wash the gold and other heavy materials down into the lowest part of the valley, which has typically got a river or creek in it and it'll concentrate in that river or creek. So then the theory is all you have to do is dig up that material, pan it or sluice it, and you'll be able to find the gold there. Okay. So it wouldn't be up high because it's so heavy. It's kind of worked its way down to the lowest point. It will work its way down to the lowest point. So you wouldn't be finding gold on the top of a hill? Uh, you can. You can still oh. find gold on top of a hill, uh, but it does tend to move downhill because of its weight. Okay. So it's a, it's, it's a strange material, gold. Huh. Yeah. Do you prospect for any other type of minerals? Uh, sometimes uh, gemstones. Yeah. Um, there's also silver um, around as well. But, yeah, ma mainly gemstones because gemstones, heavy material, so they tend to congregate where gold is also found as well. Also, the various black sands are very heavy as well tend to concentrate in the same area. So if you're finding gold, if you're finding black sands, generally you'll also find 
gemstones as well, such as garnets, things like that. Have you ever found some rose quartz? I found some very coarse quartz before. I've found some small pieces of gold that are still attached to iron stone, but I haven't found any that's been attached to quartz, no. Mm, okay, that'd be cool. Would you need a different kind of detector to be able to find gems over gold? Uh, you can't find gems with a, a metal detector, no. no it's only, not metal. It's not metal, no, no. Metal detectors only work for metal, yes. How do you find the gems then? By panning or sluicing. Oh, they're just hard work. There's no help That's with hard. that one. <laughs> no, no, you've got to dig the ground and work it and and really put a lot of work into that, yes. Okay, so let's kind of break it down now. So if you're wanting to do this, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to get your gold prospecting license, which you can buy for $22. That's right, yes. It's called a miner's right. A miner's right. Okay, I'll put the link for that in the description. Bruce has already sent me through all these links, so I will put that in the description. So then what's the next thing that you need to do? Okay, well, you, you need to decide what type of gold prospecting that you're going to do. If you're just going to do simple prospecting with a, a gold pan or a gold sluice, uh, then you just need to acquire some maps, find out which creeks or rivers that you are legally allowed to prospect in. Hold on a second, Bruce. Where do you find these materials that you can use to go gold prospecting? I would have no idea. Do you just go on eBay? There's only a few places around Melbourne uh, where you can buy a gold prospecting equipment. A place called a Miner's Den is one of them. Also, Aussie Disposals have uh, plastic gold pans as well, and they, they have uh, picks and shovels, etc. So really there's the Miner's Den, Aussie Disposals. Okay, and is there online sites as well that you can purchase these items? There is. There's one or two. There's, there's not a huge number of them. Okay. But if you just Google gold prospecting equipment and just see what pops up. Okay. So then how do you know? So you've got your equipment. Hold on. We haven't spoken about those big things. What's that big, the metal detector? Because there's different sizes, isn't there? There is. There's different sizes and different types. There's basically two different types of metal detector that you can use for gold prospecting. One is what's called a VLF machine. And the other one is a pulse induction machine. The VLF machine uh, has advantages over a pulse induction machine and also a pulse induction machine has other advantages over a VLF machine. Now, a VLF machine is a generic name for a particular type of metal detector that operates between 5 and 70 kilohertz. A pulse induction machine get much, much better depth with one of those types of machines. And it all just depends on how much you want to spend on one as well. You can spend up to $10,000. <gasps> oh, my golly gosh. Really? Yes, ten grand. Oh, I suppose, though, if you're, like, intense on finding gold, you might find more gold than it's worth, and then it's worth spending ten grand. But then that's a risk, right? It's a gamble. It is an absolute gamble. There is absolutely no guarantee that you're ever going to find anything worthwhile out in the gold fields. So it is a big, big gamble. And that's the reason why you've got to put a lot of work into it. Yeah, especially if you're spending 10 grand on a machine. Yes, you don't have to spend that much. Yeah. Uh, you, can pick up a, you can pick up a reasonably good second-hand machine for between three to $4,000. <gasps> uh, 
Uh, is that a cheap that, one? It's one that you would want to buy if you actually want to find gold. Okay, so the really cheap ones probably won't help you find anything. It will help you find metal. <laughs> so like a, a ring top from a Coca-Cola can? Is that what yes, you mean? Yes, <laughs> yeah, there's, all, there's all sorts of junk out on the gold fields, um, bottle caps, all sorts of metal, um, iron metal especially from the old gold prospecting equipment. You'll find things like boot nails, coins, all sorts of stuff like that. Have you found anything else that's really cool that's not gold? I found a few coins. What, um, do you know what few... years? Did they have a year on them? Well, it's in the 1840s. Oh, uh, that's of... cool. Also a shop token. Oh, what's a shop token? In the early days, rather than pay their employees money, they would give them tokens, which they could then use to purchase uh, food and drink, things like that, uh, in the shop that they were working at. And they're, they're very uh, collectible, mm. uh, these, these tokens. And um, I found one of those. That's cool. I've never heard of that before. Yes, it's uh, an old system that they used to use. Yeah. So, like I say, rather than paying their employees in money, they just paid them in tokens. Yeah, okay. I'm still a little bit stuck on the three to $4,000 for a machine that's going to find you gold. Whoa! Yes. I did yes. not realise it would be that expensive. Yes, you can go cheaper. You can, yeah. you can pick up a, a unit around about $1,000 as well. But you, you really do pay for what you get. And if you really want to get serious, you do have to buy a, a reasonable type of gold metal detector to find what you're looking for. Okay, I'm not sponsored by anyone for this podcast, but I would like you to tell me, Bruce, what brand do you use if someone is wanting to be serious, then they know kind of what you think is a good one? Okay, well, I own 20 metal detectors. <laughs> do you really? I do. And the main gold machines are MineLab, Garrett and White's. Okay, so they're the ones that you live by? Yes, yes, they're the ones that work. Okay. All right. Can you just say that one more time? What were they? Okay. The three brands are MineLab, Garrett, and White's. Okay. So if you are wanting to get into gold prospecting, they're the three brands that Bruce recommends. And if Bruce recommends them, then I think it's a safe bet, seeing that he's got 20 of them. <laughs> oh, Bruce, you're amazing. Okay. Now we've got our gear. We're ready to go. So now we need to know where we can do this because it's illegal to go and do this, right? Yes, yes. Like I say, you've, you've got to have a miner's right to begin with and then you are only allowed to prospect where you are allowed to go because the government have made it very, very difficult over the last uh, 10 or 20 years. If you want to go just simple gold panning, you have to make sure that it's not an exempted river or creek because gold prospecting is banned for example once upon a time you could go to the yarra river but now it's a gold prospecting uh, in the yarra is banned why do you know why why are they banning it mainly because of the greenies okay so they think it damages something they have this impression that recreational prospecting damages the environment and that's not true at all what you're doing is uh Moving a little bit of little bit of soil, a little bit of ground. The rivers are much more eroded in a flood than than whatever material uh, prospectors move. Mm. So in the in the government's wisdom, they have uh, banned prospecting a lot of creeks and rivers around Melbourne. 
So unfortunately, you've got to go into the country a little bit. For example, Beechworth, you can uh, pan for gold up in the Reedy Creek up in Beechworth. Oh, and so when you go up there, is there a lot of people panning for gold? There can be. There certainly can be. Really? How many is a lot of people though, Bruce? My, my vision is probably different than what the reality is. Well, once upon a time, when the gold rush was up there, there was 10,000 people up there at Beechworth. But wow. these days, I, you, you may get 20 to 25 people spread along the creek at any one time. Wow, that is more than I was visualising. <laughs> uh, it's very popular up there. There's also lots of gemstones up there in the Reedy Creek as well. So a lot of people just, just look for gemstones. They don't worry about the gold. My thinking would be, well, if this is where everyone can do it, I'm guessing everything's been found, so I won't find anything. Uh, not necessarily, not necessarily. Not everybody gets everything. You still do have to put a lot of time into it to, to find either some gold or, or gems. Uh, but it is still out there. It, it is becoming less and less. As you say, people are finding more and more, mm. which makes it harder to find things. But if you can put the time in, and you strike it lucky at a little place that no one's been to for a time, you know, that the gold and the gems have had an opportunity to build up again, uh, you never know what you'll find. Mm. So there are places that's definitely not allowed to go prospecting. So you mentioned the Yarra River. Is there other areas as well, like national parks? Yes, you're not allowed to prospect in, in a national park unless they have specifically put aside an area for prospecting. And that's all controlled by Parks Victoria. And maps are available for the various national parks that you are allowed to prospect in. And they are, are available online. Okay. And whereabouts online can people find these? If you go into Google and just simply Google prospecting areas, there will be numerous links that will take you to the uh, Parks Victoria website. Okay, so the Parks Victoria website is the main one. So if you're on some other ones, they might not be up to date. Yes, always. Yes, that's a good point, actually. You have to use the most up-to-date maps because you never know. They may fence off an area uh, which you're no longer allowed to go into. It may have been open to the public forever, but all of a sudden they decide to fence off an area. So you do have to keep up with the latest information. Now, what happens if you are prospecting in an area that you're not meant to be? Can you be fined, put in jail? What is the consequence? Yes, generally what happens is they confiscate all your equipment and fine you. So they'll take maybe your $10,000 gold detector? Absolutely, yes. Oh, okay. So you don't want to be going into areas that you shouldn't be. And then they can take your car. <gasps> and any other equipment that, that you're using at the time, yes. So the, the, the trick is make sure that you are on a, a legal area that you can prospect and don't go into areas that you're not allowed to prospect because the fines are quite heavy and you don't want to be doing that. And are they checking for this? Like is there people walking around and making sure that people aren't prospecting in areas that they think might be strong gold fields? and they think uh, no one's allowed to be here, do they actually walk around and kind of check? Yes, they do. There are there are rangers that do go around. Uh, I have been uh, checked twice so far in my 50 years of prospecting. But, yes, there are rangers out there, yes. Meaning that you were in the wrong place at the wrong time or you were just... No, I, I was in I was in the correct place at the correct time Okay. with my, with my miner's right. Oh, checking if you had a miner's right. Yes. Oh. 
The rangers will check up on you, yes. Because it's really easy. To, they'll see a car in a remote location, uh, and there's only really a couple of reasons why you'd be in a remote location like that. One's gold prospecting, and they will check up on you, yes. Mm. Oh, okay. What other areas are really good areas around Australia where people can go and find some good gold once they have their permit and they're in the correct location? Well, there's the, what's called the Golden Triangle up in the middle of Victoria. You've got places like Bendigo, Rushworth, Ballarat, areas up there. That, that makes up the Golden Triangle. And there's many uh, public gold fields up there that you uh, are allowed to prospect in. Uh, these areas are under threat at the moment with our new national parks. And the government and the Greens want to convert all our state forests over to our new national parks and ban all recreational activities, including prospecting. But at the moment, uh, there's many areas up in the Golden Triangle that you can go to. Okay, so you often go up there? Uh, quite regularly. I'm a member of a club and uh, we have monthly outings. And that's a good social thing to, to join up. But I also go up privately as well and uh, do my own prospecting. Can you explain, Bruce, when you go out on these group outings for gold prospecting, how you guys work? Because I don't think you all just find your own thing and dig it. It doesn't work that way, does it? There's one simple little system that you can save a lot of time and, and effort with. And if you have uh, two people, uh, one with a metal detector, he'll go and do the searching and he'll put a flag in the ground and he won't waste any time digging that particular target. But there will be a second person uh, following up behind with another metal detector looking for the little flags and that person will do all the searching and digging and that way you can cover a huge area. If you are searching for a target and digging at the same time, it takes up a lot of time for one person but doing a little bit of a team effort, you can cover much, much area uh, in the same amount of time. And now I remember that you were saying that there are like flags in areas where they've kind of gone over it and they've got a ping, but then they've decided not to dig it. But then someone did and they found a really good nugget. <laughs> yes, it becomes a decision if you do find a target, whether you're going to dig it or not. As we mentioned before, there is a lot of junk out in the gold fields. With a, a VLF detector, you can discriminate between metals and you can get an indication that the metal might be iron. Now, you don't really want to waste your time digging up iron, so you will forget that particular target and walk away from it. However, not all targets that are indicated as iron are necessarily iron because there could be a big gold nugget right beside it. So it's really a bit of a gamble not digging up every target because you may dig up a gold nugget trying to dig out the target that's being indicated and also there could be something underneath that particular target. So it really is a gamble. So I have seen before where people have dug targets out of the ground, not rechecked the hole, and there's been a gold nugget sitting in the bottom of it. I've also seen before where a person has dug a nugget out of the ground, not rechecked it, and there's been other nuggets in the hole as well. So it, it may not necessarily be, be junk, but there's only one way to find out, and you have to dig every target. What is the biggest nugget you've seen someone find? 10-ounce nugget. It was the size of my fist. <gasps> How much was that worth, Bruce? At the moment, it's a 
about twelve hundred Australian dollars an ounce. So what? Uh, so what's that? Uh, Fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, for a ten ounce nugget. Yeah. Wow. That pays for lunch. Sure <laughs> does, and pays for your gold <laughs> detector. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what we all hope for. We find a big one, and that pays for all the gear. <laughs> that's right. So, how long are you out there for? Do you are you out there all day? Sometimes, yes. When I was in New South Wales, I was out from uh, dawn to dusk. Wow. And is this in heat? Well, Tipperbara gets very hot. They've been having a big run of forty degrees up there at the moment. I only go up there in the winter time when it's freezing, but it can be in the heat at the moment. We're having. 40-degree day today. Today is not the day to be out old prospecting, I can tell you. Some people do it, but you've got to be very, very keen. Yeah. Wow. Is there anything else that people need to know about gold prospecting before they decide to go out there and start doing it and trying to get rich? I hope everybody can do this. I know it was a thing that my dad and his friend would say is that when they retired, they would want to go and get a gold prospector and go out gold prospecting. I didn't know there was so much to it, though. I thought you could just buy a cheap one and go out and then wherever you wanted. (laughs) No, it doesn't quite work that way, unfortunately. I came across two young school kids uh, up at Hoddles Creek, which is up in the Yarra Valley, and they were panning for gold, and, and their aim was to find enough gold to buy two bicycles. So all, all different people have different aims. Did they have a license? Uh, no, they're only about 12, these guys, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would have their pan taken off them. They better be careful. Yeah, there is an age limit. I think it's 16, I think. You've got to be under – if you're under 16, you don't need a miner's right. Oh, so you can send all your kids out. You can. You can slave labour. Yes, yeah, kiddie labour. <laughs> <laughs> Go find me some gold, child. <laughs> So there are a few things you need to be aware of when you're out in the bush. You've got to be very aware of your environment. You've got to be aware of old mine shafts, that you don't fall down mine shafts. Oh. The old timers dug some very, very deep mine shafts, and the undergrowth will grow over them. They can be covered over with just bark and things like that, so you get an undergrowth uh, build up over it. So you do have to be very careful that you're not going to stand on an old mine shaft and fall down it. There's no covering. How did the mine shafts work? Well, what would happen is the the old timers would just simply walk around the bush, look for indicators such as a quartz reef and start digging. And they would take samples of the material. If they found gold in it, well, then they would come back and follow the reef and process the material, usually through a crusher. They'd crush the material to get the gold out of. And they dug a, a lot of shafts around creek beds and old rivers and they would dig down to the old riverbed where the gold was concentrated and then they would dig that material up and and wash it or crush it but you can see the old mullock heaps as you go around the gold field you see the old mullock heaps and people don't dig holes for nothing you've got to dig a hole for some reason and generally that reason was there was gold in that particular area so if you're seeing a lot of old mine shafts that means that there was gold there at some point Yes, there was a good probability that there were gold in the area and the old timers were digging it up. And the other thing that you've got to be very careful of out there is snakes. Absolutely, especially in Australia. Yes, we've got the nine most deadliest snakes in the world and a lot of them are out in our, our bush, so you've got to be very careful walking through the thick undergrowth. Do you wear special clothes when you go out doing this, Bruce? 
we're snake gators. They're a uh, a, a strap on. They're they like they're a uh, strap on pads. what? Bruce, finish that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? What are these snake gators? I've never heard of them. Okay, they're like cricket pads. Ah. They just strap onto your leg. Oh, there we go. Okay, get, yep. <laughs> and <laughs> and the snake gators stop you from being bitten on the leg. Only just simple. Usually they're made of canvas. Uh, these days are some sort of synthetic material, and they just strap onto the bottom part of your leg below the knee, and that stops the snakes from biting you. So do you wear them every time you go out? Not all the time. It depends on, on the undergrowth. A lot of the gold fields you go into, it's just all stones and rocks. You can obviously see you know, any snakes then. Uh, but when you're in grassy areas and low low shrubs, low scrub, things like that, then I'll wear the gaiters then. Have you ever come across a snake that's been really close to you? Yes. If there's a snake within 10 kilometres of me, it will find me. Really? So you see them quite often? I'm a snake magnet. Oh, yes, there's all sorts of things out in the bush. Uh, yeah, they, at the, and that's scary too. I, I don't like snakes. No. And how is the best way for pe- someone to deal with that if they do see one? Do you just stop and not move? Stand still. It depends on what the snake's doing. If it's right beside you, just stand perfectly still. Hopefully it will move away by itself. If there's some distance between you and the snake, just slowly back away. Mm. Do, do not try and kill it. Oh, no. Uh, many... People have been bitten and died through trying to kill snakes. It's just better to back away from it, let it go, and then move yourself somewhere else. Yes. Yeah, and you're going into their home, so that's not nice. I don't, I don't agree with killing them. No, it's their house. But I also think you've got to protect yourself and you've got to be smart. And like you said, stop or move away. I was in New South Wales a few months back and we went for just a nice little walk and there was this beautiful snake just curled up sleeping right next to the path and we all just stopped and took a photo and kept moving and the snake didn't care about us at all it kind of looked at us and was just like yeah good eh and then we kept moving (laughs) so I don't think their intention is to hurt you either no if they're backed into a corner they will protect themselves Mm -hmm. generally they'll try and escape from you but it also depends on the type of snake as well. If you come up against a, a king brown or a tiger snake, they will have a go at you because they are very aggressive. These are some of the world's most dangerous that we're talking about here. They are. They are. A tiger snake will actually get up on the low brush and chase you through the brush. They're, they're will very, it really? Yes, yes. Have you I've been chased that. before? I have, and it is scary, and I, I do not like it, yes. Oh, how far does it chase you? Not a great distance, not a great distance. I'll tire very quickly. Okay. But a, a king brown can be up to a couple of metres long, and they will chase after you for, for some distance. Yeah, they're very aggressive, a king brown. Oh, yeah, that scares me. So, yeah, you've got to be very careful of that. But there's all sorts of other critters out there. You know, you've got your goannas and lizards and things like that. They won't hurt you as such, but you do have to be aware when you're in the bush uh, that there are other things out there. Spiders. Um, kangaroos. Oh, spiders. I hate spiders. Trapdoor spiders up in New South Wales, they're a real nuisance. And we do have a lot of spiders down here in Victoria as well. I hate them. Um, but also a lot of kangaroos out in the bush too. They scare the daylights out of you. 
Yeah, and they're big. There's some really big kangas yeah. as well, and they are. And if they're close to you, it's quite scary because they they can be dangerous too. They will. They 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 can uh, injure you quite badly with their the big claws on their toes. Yeah, and you know, there's that joke of the boxing kangaroo that kind of is world yeah. known, but there's a reason why because they will fight you. <laughs> they will fight you. Yes, and also you can be just wandering along in the bush, minding your own business. There might be a big kangaroo just sitting in the shade of a tree and he'll be asleep and then all of a sudden you'll come across him and he'll jump up. He's dazed because he's been asleep. Mm. And yeah, that's happened a couple of times. They've just they've just been been asleep and they'll just jump up and they scare the daylights out of you. Yeah. Because <laughs> mm. they blend in. They're, the colour of their fur just blends in with the bush. Hmm. Very cool. What else, Bruce? Anything else? I find that the plastic gold pans these days are excellent. They have a, a multitude of small ridges on them and they capture that the fine gold uh, much much more effectively than the tool pans so if someone's looking for equipment to to do some gold pan, uh, i would suggest one of the the newer plastic designs are because uh, they are these ones not so expensive so instead of going out and getting obviously an expensive metal detector is it easier to just get a pan and start doing it that way yes yes you're only looking at about 25 dollars for a decent plastic pan can use any shovel. I, I do use a sieve to remove some of the larger rocks. That's not absolutely necessary, but that's the cheapest way of getting into gold prospecting is just getting a, a plastic pan, finding a nice little creek or a river and, and going for it. A legal one. Make sure you are in the right areas. And again, I will put links in the description below so you can go on those links and you can find exactly where you can go and how to get your miner's license. What was it called again, Bruce? Miner's? Miner's right. A miner's right. So you can get your miner's right. And so you can go and do this properly. And hopefully you find some good gold. Oh, so exciting. Yes, and always have a really good look inside your pan before you throw anything out because it could always be gemstones hiding in there. Yeah. Well, have you travelled around the world doing this, Bruce? Like is there places in other countries that you would like to go to to try and find gold? I'd like to go to America and also Spain as well. There's some good gold fields over there, but I'd like to go to America. Uh, a lot of gold fields in, in the States. Whereabouts in the States are they? They're spread around California, obviously, Arizona. Nevada, there's quite a number of areas, uh, same as here in Australia. You've, you've got Victoria, New South Wales, uh, Western Australia especially. So they're spread all, all around the country. Okay. And so do you know if the rules are similar in the US? They have different rules over there, a lot more liberal rules than we do over here. Uh, and they do vary from state to state as well. So you, once again, you've just got to check on the local rules and regulations over there. And so the other place was Spain that you mentioned? Yes, yes. There's areas in Spain that has uh, good alluvial gold. Ooh. What does that mean? What's, th what's that word you said? Alluvial? Yeah. That just means the, the gravels and the, and the dirts that accumulate on the surface. If you go to a, a creek, for example, you'll find all the alluvial wash just sitting on the surface of the, of, of the bottom of the creek there. Uh, you just dig down to where the black sands are. That's the heavy material and then start panning from there. Mm, okay. And anywhere in particular in Spain that you know of that's quite a good area? I've been invited over there, but I can't pronounce the name of the, the, name of the town. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. 
Well, thank you so much, Bruce. That has been amazing. And I hope that we have given you some tips that if you are wanting to go out and gold prospect all around in the US, Spain, Australia, that you can go and do it in a safe way. Again, make sure you are following the rules. Please look after the environment. Don't leave your plastics. Don't leave rubbish behind. Take it all with you. We want to make sure that everybody is looking after our environment while we're doing these things. So have fun, enjoy, but be smart while you're doing it. In Australia, look out for snakes. Thank you so much, Bruce, for sharing your expertise. And I'm sure my listeners are loving it. And if you haven't gathered by now, Bruce is one of the most intelligent, amazing humans that I have ever met. And I'm so glad that I know you, Bruce, because you teach me so much all the time. Thank you so much for being on again, Bruce. Uh, You're welcome, Michelle, and I hope your listeners enjoy uh, this talk today. Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or inquiries, head to the Contact Us page at our website, michellelee.com. That's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast. We love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel. Thanks for listening. Love life and adventure on.